what I'd like to talk to you about today, I might need my whiteboard just because I got a lot to share with you. Um, I think it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, let me just, uh, as I, what I was doing, I was spending, I spent the weekend here with all these folks. And what was going on in me all the time, and I have, I've wrestled with this in my own life. I'm, you know, I'm 50-something years old now. And I, I wrestle with the fact that we're just learning some things at this latter stage in my life. And I was saying to, my, to the Lord, you know, why didn't I learn this when I was whatever these guys are? You know, some of them are 18, some of them are 20, some of them are 21 years old. And I'm thinking, man... If I could just go, if I could just know what I know now, and I'm 21, if I could be 18, if I could be back there in the pink room right now, Lord, you, if only you, if only, that's what, see, I get into that. How many of you say, you know, I can get into that in my head? And the Lord began to talk to me about, um, you know, understanding the life of a superhero. That's where we are. You probably don't remember now. We've had so many, it's been so long since anybody you know has been in the pulpit, but we're talking about living the life of a superhero and imagining that if I got to be 112 years old and then I found out that I could leap tall buildings and, and outrun speeding bullets. And I'm thinking, wow, where were you when I nearly needed that? And the Lord began to speak to me about the fact that nothing is lost. That nothing is lost. And so we know in the kingdom a little bit that we, uh, we get the idea that we have deliverance experiences. I think most of us have come, you know, at least come somewhere near an environment where you understand that there's stuff that we get into and stuff that happens to us and stuff that we do. And, and, and it gets us into a bind. It gets us locked up. And so you have to have one of these deliverance style of experiences where God has to show up and deliver you from the mess that you or someone else has got you into. But what I want to talk to, and I think we get that. I think there's a, you know, we can see through scripture, it's very easy to go and look at this person is in a jam and God gets him out in a jam and this person's dying and this person is sick and this person's broke and on and on and on we go and we see God swooping in and, and delivering that person from that problem. But I want to talk this morning about something that maybe you haven't heard about. I want to talk to you about the fact that God is not only in the deliverance business, but he's in the restoration business. Do you know there's a difference between being delivered from something and being restored to the place where it never happened in the first place? And what we're going to do is we're going to take a little wander through scripture, several, many, lots, and we're going to look for a, some evidence that would suggest that when God finds you drowning in a river somewhere, that he certainly wants to dive in and save you and drag you to the shore so that you're not drowning anymore. But I wonder whether we also would believe that not only does God want to do that, but God wants to uh, dry you off and he wants to put you back together again and he wants to erase the memory of that uh, terrible trauma and he wants to take you to the keg and feed you a big dinner and then buy you a house on the lake and stick a Ferrari in the driveway and give you the cutest wife the world has ever all because he wants to bring you back to the place that was as if that thing had never happened not only does he want to pay you back not only does he want to give you a good day but he wants to over abundantly pour blessing on yeah. you 
as a recompense, as a restorational activity for the fact that you had to go through that in the first place. Amen. I just want to say law there. I said, well, that can't possibly be true. God's so busy. You know, if he had to bless every single person, my gosh, he'd run out of money. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe he said, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's got billions of people to look after at this level. It's no possible way. He'd need a computer. I don't think God has computers. We only have those here because we're so smart. No, you see, God, God is such a loving person. He's so overwhelmingly generous and abundant that when he sees anything, it's like if I, you know, I can't wait now. We get a, we have Olivia now and hopefully, uh, um, so we get to, we have this wonderful season yet coming at us as grandparents because we get to do the Disney thing again. But you know what? I, I don't know whether it will be okay. I'm not, I'm, I, I can, I think, you know, carrying, you know, I can feel my hand holding little Olivia as we walk in the gates. So here we are, Olivia, at the, at the Disney World. We're not going to be able to do any of the rides or go into any of the shops. We won't be buying you any of those fuzzy things. We're just going to walk through the park. That's all we get. You know, we, I can't spoil you. I, I, I'm not going to do that. No, we're going to puke our brains out on those things. I can be the grandpa that's got the backpack with all of the stuffed toys in it, trying to get them home, you know, getting on the airplane, and they're looking at you going, where are you, what are you doing? And I'm a miserable, nasty human being just like you. Imagine what God is like when he gets us to step over into a deliverance experience, what he's been waiting for all your life. And he gets you over into that deliverance experience, and then he says, okay, that's good enough. I'll leave you wet in the shore. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. Let me lay some groundwork. The Bible says this in John chapter 10, one of the best scriptures in the, very, in the whole Bible. If you've ripped out that page, you need to go buy a new Bible. In John chapter 10, it says this. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus speaking, that you might have life and have it abundantly. Earlier in the scripture, he talks about who this whole thief guy is. He says, there's a guy who's going to try and come and steal my sheep, Jesus is speaking. He's not going to come in through the door. He's going to sneak through the window. Okay, as we sneak our way back to Genesis chapter 3 and we see the guy sneaking in the window. We see the devil trying to come in and sneak away with all the human beings and steal and kill and destroy their lives. And so we recognize then that the way that the devil does this, if you look into John something else, I got my wrong glasses on, but it's somewhere in John, <laughs> that, the, that the devil, he's a liar. That's about the last, that's not the worst thing you can say, but you are a liar. <laughs> yes. The Bible says about the devil, not only that he's a liar, but that he's the father of the concept of lying. How did he steal, how did he climb in the window and steal lives away from humankind? Do you know the way he did that? He lied. The way the devil steals from us is he lies to us. I said to Caleb, I said, Caleb, tomorrow morning we're going to go for breakfast. 
Caleb's all excited. <laughs> Darian comes along a few minutes later. So, you know, Pastor Ian asked me to tell you that he won't be at breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> now, I'm sitting there at the Golden Griddle. What's, it, what's the place called? The Golden, uh, Golden Corral. No, not the Golden Corral. <laughs> Sunset Grill. I'm sitting at the Sunset Grill waiting for Caleb to walk in the door. Because I'm going to buy him breakfast. And they got breakfast there, if you all know. Caleb doesn't show up. Caleb misses the breakfast that I was going to bless him with because of you. Way to go, because he got lied to. You see what's happening here? Because you got lied to, an opportunity was there for you to be blessed. But you walked by it, never noticing that it was there. You see, the way the devil steals from us is that he lies to us. The way he kills our life is he lies to us. The way he destroys the blessing of God in our lives is that he lies to us. And when he's lied to us, we then begin to live a life that we were never intended to live. The way the scripture works, if you're in Corinthians, again, I'm going to change my glasses. I'll give you the notes. In Corinthians, it says that when there's a lie on the inside of you, you also get this interesting activity that goes on in your soul. It's referred to as a strong man. It's like there's a mechanism in your soul when you are lied to that it's so hard for you to get rid of the lie once you have heard it. It's like there's somebody that's got it in a safe and there's a guard at the safe. It's like you've plugged a, a flash drive into your computer and then there's somebody there guarding it to make sure you can't pull the flash drive out. And that, fla that program that is running, that lie is running and running and running and running in your mind all the time. And you can't get rid of it. It's like a bee in your bonnet. And it grows. And it grows. And it starts to affect the way you see the world around you. See there, Tina's got a smile on her face. She must be laughing at me because she thinks I'm stupid. No, that's, that's not why she's laughing. They're talking about something here. But you see, if I have that little bee going in my mind that says I'm stupid and people laugh at me, as soon as somebody back there laughs, I fall apart up here because... <gasps> it's the bee. It's the lie. It's the stronghold. It's the strong man. You, you, we don't use the word stronghold and strong man really anymore other than those newspaper, those phone book guys. Okay. We're those, but those in the day when those terms were being used, these were real things. A stronghold was a fort. It was a big, huge uh, 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 stone, what would you call it, fortress that in the time of war and difficulty when there was marauders that were coming in, everybody lived out on the farms. They were busy with their agriculture. But then when there was a, some, oh, oh, you know, the, the, the Midianites are coming. It's what happened. Everybody, and everybody runs to the fortress because the Midianites are coming and they're going to try and kill us. They're going to try and take our women. They're going to try and steal our goods. They're going to take our children. So everybody goes, so everybody knows a fortress is somewhere that you, you, you build. And then when you've built it, nobody gets in. Unless you're allowed in. They build them in a certain way. I remember the one time there was, I forget what it was, the one, the stairways even. They would go up a certain way so that your sword arm was against the wall. 
so that now the guys walking up there to try and attack, they couldn't use their sword arm. And then they would build another embankment over there looking at the guys who couldn't use their sword arm, and that's where the archers went. So these guys were like sitting ducks, unable to do anything. They had to fight with their left hand, which, as you know, is not easy for a right-handed person to do. They would do all of these things in the design of the fortress to prevent anybody from coming in and stealing the goods that are in the fortress. In Mark chapter 3, verse 27-ish, it's, it's what's happening. Now, Jesus is walking around, and he's healed somebody, and the Pharisees get the great idea that the way that he's healing people is by Beelzebub. Beelzebub is, a, I love that word, I love saying it. In English, it says, Lord of the Flies. And they said that you must be working for the devil. That's how you are doing what you are doing. And Jesus turns to them and says, there's no possible way that I could be working. How good would it be? for a kingdom to be divided against itself. If Satan put the sickness on them, why would I, working for Satan, get rid of the sickness? That would seem dumb, wouldn't it? And then all of a sudden, he says this. He's talking about kingdoms divided, houses divided, and all this divided stuff, and he says, wait a minute now, if you have to, if you have to steal the goods from a strong man, you need to first tie up that strong man, and then you can steal his goods. And I said to myself, self, what does that have to do with a house divided? And then I realized mm -hmm. what Jesus was talking about was something right over here. It's a parenthesis. Oh, by the way, you're going to need to know this. If you want to steal the goods that a strong man has, you're going to first have to tie up that strong man. And then once you've tied him up, now you can go get his goods. What's his goods? What did he lock up on the inside of you that's killing, stealing, and destroying you? There, what, excuse me? The lies. If you want to go in and steal the lies from the strong man, if you want to get him out of there, you can't just go with your bows and arrows. You can't just go with your swords. You can't even go with your good church attendance. That's not to say that you shouldn't go to church. What you have to do is you have to bind them. But let me, let me take, I want to turn to, I've got to go in your Bible for this one. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs, I love Proverbs. Proverbs are these beautiful little moments in the scripture. I'm going to put my other glasses on. You're not going to notice that. It's a little sleight of hand trick that I have up here. Proverbs, Old Testament, chapter 6, and verse 31. Are we ready to shout? Now, you need to be focused here. Listen to me. Verse 30. Men do not despise a thief, for if he steals to satisfy his own soul when he is hungry. But if he is found, whom? The if the thief is found, he shall restore sevenfold. So, oh, excuse me. If you find the thief, 
and he has stolen something from you, he shall restore to you sevenfold, even he shall give you all the substance of his house. What God is saying is, is that we're not just looking in moments in our lives in the New Testament as God brings us through deliverance experiences. He's not just interested in you getting the thief identified and, and, and handcuffed and kicked out. He's interested in going back to the very beginning of when that thief started to steal from you and identifying, doing the inventory on everything that was stolen and restoring it to you, bringing recompense, balancing the ledgers so that he gives back to you seven times as much. Listen as we look at some stories. They're familiar stories, so I won't get you to do you can look through. You can look through it with yourself. You'll know the way they are. Consider the life of Joseph. As Joseph had all of these evil, wicked things happen to him, as he was uh, his brothers and then you know, Potiphar and all of these negative things, the prison and the pit and all of this stuff going on in his life. And then all of a sudden, one day, all of a sudden, one day, Joseph receives the favor of the king. The king needs something that he has. And he gets into the courts of the king. Before he leaves the courtroom that day, he is now, the scripture says, Pharaoh's father. The keeper of all of Egypt is now this man, Joseph. That sounds a little, that sounds a lot like, more like seven, seven billion fold. But you can see what God is doing here. He's not just getting Joseph back out of the pit. There you go. He's not just getting him out of prison. He's getting him recompensed. Consider Abraham. Abraham is spending his whole life. Imagine what it was like in those days for him and Sarah to not be able to have a child. Abraham defined by scripture as one of the richest men of the East, but he has no children, shadows and dust. Spends his whole life, that, what that must have been like for him and Sarah. And one day, one day he gets rescued by God. And that rescue is, a, is in the form of a baby. Isaac is born. Is that the end of the story? Does anybody know? From Isaac, and Ishmael even, even the, 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 not the covenant child, two of the, you know, the, the largest, fam the most famous family groups in the earth are the Ishmaelites and the Israelites. Those, that multitude of children that numbers into the millions are Abraham's children. God was recompensed. Now, it wasn't just enough to have a baby. God was busy going, pouring it on you to the place where there are innumerable number of people involved in the equation. The Israelites come 
out of that now, the, we know the story of Joseph as he's down into, into Egypt. And he's the ruler of Egypt. 400 years later, we come back to the story of the Israelites in Egypt. They have certainly proliferated into a nation within a nation. But that nation is under the hard slavery of hundreds of years under the whip of Pharaoh. We come to the end of that story. Moses comes onto the scene. Moses visits with Pharaoh a few times, does a few, you know, super duper, super power things in front of Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh says, go. Deliverance has come to the Israelites. And oh, by the way, as they were leaving, they gathered up all the gold, bags full of it, wagon loads of it transport trucks filled with all the gold of Egypt. What was God doing? God wasn't just delivering them. He was paying them for 400 years of slavery. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, let's go and look there what, what God is so true to his word in Deuteronomy chapter 15, it gives us prescription for that. Listen to me. It says, and, when, and if thy brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto you out of some misfortune, out of a mistake that was made, out of just, uh, you know, somebody's evil actions, for some reason, this Hebrew person uh, ended up being sold into a person's house. That's how slavery would happen back then. And they served three and six years. Excuse me. And he serves you for six years. Then in the seventh year, you will let him go free. That's deliverance. And when you will send him free from you, you shall not send him away empty. Rather, you shall furnish him liberally out of your flock and off of thy threshing floor and out of thy wine press, that wherewith the Lord your God has blessed you shall you give to him. See what God does, even if... There's a just reason why that person, through a mistake or a mishap or a, you know, whatever thing that would happen, misfortune, something came up, and that person couldn't meet their debts, and so they would be sold into slavery, that at the end of that season, that person, first of all, would be set free in the seventh year, but not just set free in the seventh year, they would be paid wages that they would have lost so that they're going forth now in abundance. Can you hear, can you hear the recompense, the restoration, the, the seven times restored of everything that was stolen from you? When David was in, was having this battle out of, as, as the leader of, uh, as the leader of the, this band of men, this is now in the time where David wasn't king yet. And David goes into the, and, 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 and fights a battle, but we, while he's over here fighting the battle, the, the, the bad guys come around uh, into their little encampment at this town called Ziklag. And what happens is, is that because David's over there fighting, makes a mistake. He doesn't leave any men back over here to guard the women and children and the, and the gear. And so the bad guys come and they come back and they rast that city and steal the women, take the children and... David comes back from battle that day. Can you, 
Can you feel what they would feel as they see on the horizon a little bit of black smoke rising from where the village was? Can you feel what would be going on on the inside of David? We'll take a little bit of a look at this one today. We're going to have a wee look at what does it take to step from deliverance into restoration. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 30 with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we have uh, this account of David's life and this experience. In verse 6 there, it says, And David was greatly distressed for the people's the people spoke of stoning him. That's not a great thing. That's, not, that's Old Testament stoning, by the way. Because the soul of the, all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Listen to me now. Listen. So we're going to take some lessons from somebody who not only got deliverance, as you're about to see, but got restoration. But David, it says, encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself. In verse 8 there it says, And David inquired of the Lord. Went to the temple and he put on the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him and the Lord answered him and said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and you will recover all. Now remember that David... What he lost was white women and children. He didn't, they didn't say there was any gear there of any substance. Later on, if you look down in verse 20 now, we'll go through there. Uh, let me see my notes really quickly. I'm sorry. Verse 18. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. They, it was very funny. They, they go along the way. If you've read the story, they go along the way and all of a sudden they see this, this, this crippled, not crippled, uh, sick person sitting on the side of the road. And they go up to that sick person and they say, you know, uh, have you seen this band of uh, Amalekites? Have they gone by? And the guy says, well, not only did they go by, but I am the, mass, I am the leader's servant, slave. But, but I got sick and I was slowing them down, so they tossed me out of the wagon. When you're, when you're going after the enemy, what are you really looking for? You're really looking for the guy the master tossed out of the wagon, aren't you? It's a chance encounter, we would say, perhaps. It's a, it's a, it's a coincidence, maybe that's what you'd say. I'm not, that's not what happened. See, they said, go, and you'll recover all. And all of a sudden, they find out that this guy knows how to do, how to rout these Amalekites, and he's got a reason to do it. So he says to David, I says, you promise me, one, that you won't give me back to my master and promise me, two, that you're not going to kill me yourself. Yeah. And I'll tell you how to rout those guys. David, the good Jew, says, deal. <laughs> Listen to the rest of the story now. Verse 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither son nor daughter, neither spoil, neither anything that had been taken of them. David recovered all. Hello? And, oh, I love, do you know? And David took all the flocks and all the herds which they had driven out before other cattle. And they said, this is David's spoil. 
And David came, and then it goes on, the story goes on. He had so much stuff that he took to all of his friends, and he gave away a whole bunch of stuff to all of his friends. That's what happened at the end of the, at the, end of the scriptures there. You see, David encouraged himself in the Lord. What do you do when you are facing what this must have been on the inside of him, where literally his bowels feel like they have come out? I mean, how many of you have ever had that feeling when... Something goes on inside of you, and it's literally like somebody has put your innards through a meat grinder and popped everything back in there. That's what it have felt like. Imagine if you came home and your wife and kids had been kidnapped, had been taken away by some evil person who has hardly anything but good intent. What would that feel like? We would struggle in our culture to know and identify with a feeling like that. David went and he encouraged himself in the Lord. What do you do to encourage yourself in the Lord at the time when something like that happens? Can I tell you what he did? He said, Lord, you and I, we need to talk about the lion. You remember when my life was threatened and that lion was coming after my sheep? And I'm this little ruddy boy with a piece of leather strap and a stone. I got a piece of stick and a, sta and a, and a curved staff. You remember when I was facing an impossible situation a few years ago, Lord? You remember that? And I remember what happened. I remember you showed up. You turned my little stick into a cannon. You turned my little sling into a nuclear bomb. And you blew that sucker off the planet. Not a few days later, Lord, I remember when a bear came. He wasn't smart enough to see what happened to the lion. <laughs> that was just as impossible a situation, Lord, and I know what happened in that. You took my crooked little staff and turned it into a ninja stick. And we beat the living daylights out of that bear. That's nothing. I remember this guy, Goliath, God, a man who was four times my height and 67 times my weight. Yes. And you turned this little piece of leather, you turned that little stone into a 30-aught bullet that blew that sucker's head right off his body. What's happening inside of David is he's thinking about these things. He's thinking about who are these Amalekites? Who are you, great mountain? That you will not bow low. See, that's what it takes. When your humanity is flushing out of your nether regions, what you got to do is you got to step up and say, you know what, God, I remember when you and me been in a fight like this once before. Wasn't as big as this. Wasn't as tough as this. That don't matter. All that did was get me ready for this one. All that did was strengthen my arm a little bit. All that did was get me to run a little bit faster towards this monster that's trying to destroy, this yes. thing that's trying to kill, this thing that's trying to steal from me. It's just getting me madder and madder and madder. 
Because I know I'm not just going to get back my stuff. I'm going to get back all the stuff they got. Yeah, come on. God forbid that guy's got a cute wife. I'll take him in. I mean, back in those days, you could do that kind of stuff. Now we're smarter. We're the New Testament people. We don't do that stuff anymore. But back then... Jesus is walking down through the pathway one day and he meets up with this group of 10 lepers. We're not very familiar with leprosy in our world. Our world is, thank God, delivered from that kind of a plague. But there's places in the earth today even when leprosy is a big problem. And what leprosy does, one of the doctors in the house will have to help if I'm getting some of the details wrong here. but. I think what leprosy does is it, is it shuts down the blood vessels and the circulation and it kind of creates a disease in the, in the appendages and the bits and pieces that are the extremities, feet and ears and nose and, and, and fingers. Am I right, Donna? What happens is, is those things, they, get, they die and they fall off. Imagine what Jesus would have encountered. How much killing, stealing and destroying he was looking at as he meets up with this band of 10 lepers along the road. And Jesus reaches out to them and says, be healed. We didn't say that. He said, go wash yourself, show yourself to the priest. And in the process of that, we discover a few minutes later, listen to the scripture here. It's in uh, Luke chapter 17. Do you have a few minutes for me? So I can bring this to a close. Uh, and 19 and Jesus said he said in verse 14 he said when he said to them go show yourselves unto the priest and it came to pass that as they went they were cleansed and one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving thanks since he was a Samaritan and Jesus answered and said were there not 10 who were cleansed? Where are the nine? Verse 18 says, they are not found that return, they are not found that return to give glory to God, save this one. And Jesus turns unto this person. See, Jesus delivered them all. Jesus healed the leprosy in every one of the 10. And then he goes to the one. And he says this, arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made you whole. This is one of those moments where we can imagine what that must have been like for that person who potentially had fingers and toes. They, often the noses fall off and the ears come off. And all of a sudden we're watching like a CGI movie as that person gets completely restored as if that leprosy had never happened. Every part of their physical body, it wasn't just that they, they arrested the process, they were made whole. Jesus is not just in the deliverance business, he's in the restoration business. He says, but there was a difference. Nine of them didn't get it. One of them got it. What was the difference? 
It said the one came and glorified God. And then right the next verse, it brings it in detail. It said he bowed down and he thanked Jesus. He thanked him. Open your mind up for a minute. What were the other nine doing? I tell you what I used to do. God would bless me. He would deliver me. He would fill my pockets, fill my belly. And then you know what I would do? I would walk up and stairs and pout because he didn't do the other thing I needed him to do. He says, yeah, God, you put food on my table, but I got a car payment still to make. What's up with you? That's what I, that's, to my own shame. That's what I did. I was so consumed with myself. I was so busy complaining about the things in my life that weren't good enough. I live in the, I live like in a king's palace. I live in the most beautiful place in the whole wide world. I live in the wealthiest economy the world has ever seen. I have the beautifulest wife in the world. I have the wonderfulest children, dogs. What was I complaining about? These lepers a minute ago had a death sentence. Now they're healed. They're so busy with all of their thoughts. Jesus, why didn't you do this when I was younger? Why did this have to happen to me anyways? I hate God now. That's what they were doing. Or they were busy going to figure out how they were going to get dinner. The God who could fix their leprosy obviously couldn't possibly give them dinner. It's the selfishness. It's the, this humanity that we deal with. Instead of being able to come into that place that says, God, those of you that are on this weekend, Monday morning's coming. But rather than just getting back into the misery, rather than just starting to worry again, you've just met the God of the universe. You've just encountered what men for thousands of years have been trying to encounter. You've just been face to face for the entire weekend with the God who can do anything who can restore you no matter when the problem started. Those lies that you dealt with, those issues, those wounds, those traumas, they've been hanging around your life, defeating, killing, destroying your life. And God is waiting right now. He's standing in the midst of this place, ready to say to you, ready to restore you, ready to recompense, ready to give you seven times what the devil has stolen from you. He's ready to fill your house up fill your heart up fill your family up fill your life up with the goodness and the blessing and the abundance and the strength and the grace and everything that you need everything restored to you as if the lies had never been there he desires that we would understand two things One, that we would be like the lepers, like the one who would come back and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, 
how would I have ever got those chains off my back? Father, how would I have ever got rid of that strong man? I didn't even know he was there. How would I have ever broken through the doors of that fortress to get those lies, those that trauma, get that wood? Father, there's no way I could have ever found it. But instead, Holy Spirit, as I was singing a song, as I was visiting a moment in my past, as I was forgiving somebody I can't even remember their name, somehow you unlocked the door. Somehow you released me from the forces of those things, never to be attached to me again for the rest of my life. Father, I'm like one of those disciples, that one leper, Lord. Lord, I'm giving you thanks today. Lord, I remember who I used to be. Lord, I remember what I used to be like. Lord, I remember the prison cell. Lord, I remember the emotions. I remember the hopelessness, Lord. I remember the despair. Lord, I remember the pain. And you set me free of it, Lord. Nothing I could ever give you, Lord, would ever repay you. All I have is my friends. All I have, Lord God, is the ability to bow my knee. Thank you, Lord. in a cocoon and all the years 
of the last little while have been this caterpillar turning into this butterfly, but this butterfly trapped inside of this cage, this iron prison. And then the day comes when it's time for the butterfly to push out of the bottom of the cocoon. It's like a mother giving birth. You can start pushing, it's not hard at first. And you have the strength to push. You have the strength to stretch open the bottom of that cocoon. not long in the underdeveloped muscle system of a butterfly who's never used his wings before, who's never flown, who's never stood upright. It's not long before that, that, that butterfly loses its strength. Many of us can find ourselves in a similar place. We know right now that God is pushing us through into a new world teaching us how to fly and he's requiring of each one of us that we push ourselves out of that cocoon that we stretch our wings and push our legs until finally that 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 rip comes up the side of that cocoon and that butterfly is free I'm believing today for the grace for every single person in this room that you feel like there's a vice across your chest. That there's a, how would you say it, a boa constrictor wrapped around your body. And you've been pushing against that thing for years. Trying to get free trying to get free, trying to get free. We're going to believe together as a congregation for every single person who feels those things that I'm talking about, to particularly the leadership here at Victory and those of you that are members and, and financial supporters and you give your time and your energy and all of the all of the family that gathers here as we all give a mighty push that this ministry would transition through this season that we would learn to fly so I'm going to get you to just touch, put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you, or let's just gather together. You don't know who I'm talking to. I'm not, you don't need to say it's you. Doesn't matter whether it's you or it's not you. We're all just going to gather our strength together. And we're going to give a push in the spirit. Hallelujah. We're going to break the side of that Thank thing. You, Lord. But let's get everybody to stand up. Here's what I'm feeling like the Lord wants us to do. Pastor was talking to us today about the stronghold. And actually, I want you to just close your eyes. 
And I want you to see that mighty fortress and what he's saying, the purpose of this ministry, the purpose of your life, the things that you felt like you've tried and tried to get at, but you haven't been able to get at, the things that you would say, as Pastor Alex said on Wednesday night, enough is enough. Enough is enough. You've done everything you that you possibly know how to do. Today, we're accessing the corporate anointing in the name of Jesus, and it's literally going to send shockwaves. It's like Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20, where the scripture says, when the people heard the sound of the horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly, 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 the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites, not yet, not yet, and the Israelites charged straight into the town, and they captured that which was meant for them all along. We're gonna get our suddenly today. This is a suddenly moment where Joseph experienced a 24-hour turnaround in the name of Jesus. This is our moment. This is our moment. This is our moment. This is our moment. I want you to close your eyes. Look inside of that fortress. Look inside of that stronghold. I don't know if it's healing. I don't know what's identity. I don't know what kind of restoration it is that God's been speaking to you about. And you've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, like Pastor said, like the butterfly or the caterpillar trying to get out of that cocoon. in this. Pastor Ian, and when we shout to three, I want you to see, I want you to see that the walls of that thing, just like Joshua says, suddenly, when they heard the sound of the people, it says suddenly the walls collapsed and they went right into their promise. All right, say this with me. Say, Jesus, I know the Holy Spirit has shown me the thief. I caught him right in the act. I know your Bible tells me that if I catch a thief, I can demand from that thief full repayment of everything that he's ever stole from me multiplied seven times. 